welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana from Reed Smith. Joining me today is Robert Cruz from Smarsh and Therese Kapow from Reed Smith. Today we'll be doing a podcast, the first in a series on electronic communications and financial institutions. The series is going to be basically looking at financial institutions and, and the fact that they're under tremendous scrutiny at the moment relating to the use of e-coms. We've seen it in the headlines. We've seen it from regulators where there's a real focus on financial institutions managing electronic communications. And one of the issues that we have is with changing technology, it's becoming even more challenging to keep up with the regulatory requirements, regulatory requirements that were drafted years and years ago um, and don't necessarily fit neatly with the type of technology, particularly the communication technology that's being developed. So with this podcast series, we're hoping to explore the legal, regulatory, and operational issues relating to e-coms in this current environment for financial institutions. So first, Robert, why do financial institutions really need to think about electronic communications? Yeah, thank you, Anthony, and, and really appreciate the invitation to the podcast. I think there's a couple of key considerations here, the first of which is, just as you noted, it's the changing face of our businesses. It's the way that we're getting things done has just fundamentally been changed. So, you know, the use of Teams and Slack and Zoom over the past couple of years, but even kind of longer and, and broader is just, you know, new employees with new preferences, they want to engage on different platforms. The challenge for financial services firms, or frankly, any regulated entity is that you've got requirements you know, not only for regulated users, you know, the broker dealers, investment advisors, whose communications have to be supervised to meet, you know, suitability requirements and other existing financial regulations under the SEC and FINRA and elsewhere. But at a more broader level, I think every financial services organization, as well as state and local government and healthcare and pharma and other industries, you've got record keeping requirements. You have to retain this information. You have to create and preserve a historical record of what was being discussed. So communicating through so many new sources and having to meet those obligations really creates a, a world of complexity that a lot of firms have never dealt with before. Yeah. And I think that's that's key. It's This is such a more complex environment from a technology perspective, because I think before it was basically you know, email and chats, right? Instant messaging, whatever. You just sort of had that. It was relatively contained, I guess. Um, but there's just been an explosion of new types of communications. As you said, it's really driven by the business. And I think compliance and legal, and frankly, the regulators are trying to keep up. So, Therese, what are, what are the risks here? I mean, obviously, all these people probably listening and have day jobs, and this is not their day job. So why should they care about electronic communications or the fact that some of the businesses may be using some more advanced technology to communicate? I mean, for financial services institutions, because there are real consequences to, you know, a failure to properly retain and supervise, you know, electronic communications that fall under the regulations. I mean, I think to level set, the regulators view record keeping and surveillance and, and proper retention as fundamental to the integrity of the financial system. Right. They've come out. They've said this multiple times that being able to ensure the integrity of the data, the ability of the regulators to get to that data, to perform their supervisory activities is fundamental to the, the confidence in our financial system. Right? That is the perspective they are coming from. 
So when the regulators are looking at these issues, the regulators are taking it very seriously. We are seeing some unprecedented fines that have come out for record keeping and supervisory um, failures. I think everyone is aware at this point of the enforcement actions that against JP Morgan and the 200 million fine that they paid with from the SEC and the CFTC for record keeping and supervision violations relating to the use of personal devices and personal applications for business communications that were not being captured or surveilled by JP Morgan in that instance. We know, again, public information, several other financial institutions have publicly said that they are also under investigation and are reserving similar amounts for potential fines that may came out, come out for similar violations. The SEC announced that they were investigating individual Wall Street um, you know, executives for potential use on their personal devices uh, for business communications that, again, would not be captured. So several of banks out there have either you know, fired or are taking pay cuts for, you know, executives or others who may be violating their policies. I mean, and and just overall, right? Yes, there's a monetary impact. There's an enforcement impact. There's a reputational impact of, you know, failing to meet these regulations, but also, again, underlying the importance of data and managing data, you know, to be able to identify any potentially bad actors that are going on as a part of supervision to be able to have access to these communications is really critical for any financial institution, right? Just as a you know governance matter. Right, and and just to add a quick comment to Teresa's points there, one is that you know this focus from the regulators we've never seen this before, you know, because it's 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 viewed as a potential for investor manipulation or fraud. So they're looking at digital communications as a primary topic. We've not seen this, you know, in in recent history. But just the other aspect of this is it's the regulatory consequences are one issue. The other issues that come up here are what is the impact for discovery? What are the, the, the violations that may arise, you know, because somebody's doing something inappropriate, you know, textual harassment, you know, slack bullying. It's like there's all sorts of other issues that can arise here as well as regulatory issues. Yeah. And I think we're going to see, well, I, I expect that we're going to see quite a bit of litigation around you know, the WhatsApps of the world and the personal devices. I think there's unquestioned every plaintiff is what they do are going to focus on that because they know it's a weak point from a compliance and control perspective for most financial institutions. And and we've seen it, right? It's it's out there. The regulators have pointed it out. So good point, Robert. I think we're going to see a lot of discovery disputes around this issue. And it raises all kinds of issues, privacy issues and, and whatnot. So now that we so we talk about so we have the the background here in terms of why it's important, but one of the big I think challenges that we have, which I sort of alluded to earlier, is really and this is the, the sort of focus in this podcast is what is an e- electronic communication, right? We've got all these regulations, they have definitions of what an ecom is, but I think as we'll go through a little bit with some examples, it's not as intuitive as you would think in terms of what's an e-com. And I think, again, that's probably something that we're going to have to muddle our way through. So Robert, what do you think, how do we define or how the regulations define what an e-com is? You know, it's a great question because as, as Teresa mentioned, a lot of the regulations were written a long time ago and were written for things that people aren't doing anymore. I mean, our 1784 storage rule talks about spinning disks and floppy drives and, you know, technology that's not been around for, for quite a while. So I, I think it's important to note that the regulations are 
intended to focus on, you know, not the two cans with a string in the middle. It's it's what's the information that's trans, you know, that's being delivered over those those mechanisms. So, you know, the spirit is not to look at a technology like email and say there's one set of rules, text messaging a different social media third. It's like it's communication. And, and in our case, it's communication that pertains to the business. So I, I think one of the challenges that we see today is is that you know, we could talk about you and I communicating over a channel, asynchronous, you know, email in the past, but now it's collaboration. It's really you and I discussing how we're going to get a task accomplished. And that might be done with a video or a whiteboard or, you know, some other modality that a firm may or may not have a control in place to manage. So it's, you know, the the definition and where the regulations are going is really trying to treat this holistically as, you know, digital communications encompassing any any vehicle that's used to deliver information from one party to another. So seeing that definition now kind of evolving in real time. Yeah. And I think what's important about this and what is the challenge about it is that there is no definition of what is an electronic communication that is very deliberate by the regulators. They don't want, they're not going to come out and define specific technologies because the regulations are meant as Robert's saying to cover communications. It's not the modality. It's not the technology, right? But that leaves, and they want to leave it vague, right? They want to leave it vague because they do not want to pigeonhole themselves into specific types of technology because technology evolves too quickly to do that. So it becomes a place where as the technology is changing, financial institutions have to make judgment calls about does this, would this type of technology or means of exchanging information, does it fall under the category of a correspondence or a communication? And that becomes challenging, right? You can say, okay, is it interactive? Does that two people exchanging information? Well, static communications in some cases under some of the regulations are still a communication, even if someone cannot respond to it. So you have to be very aware of how is the information being exchanged? Microsoft recently came out with in, within Teams with chat with self. So it is an I am with yourself. Is that a note-taking capability? Or is that an electronic communication that should be captured and surveilled pursuant to the regulations, right? So even with recently whiteboards, there's been a lot of discussion about interactive, you know, visual aids during a meeting. You have a whiteboard that someone can draw on and other people can contribute to that. You have notes that can be taken at the same time. We have real-time polling that is very common. And, you know, for a long time, the financial institutions were saying, well, is this an electronic communication? How would I capture it? I don't know. Is this more like a PowerPoint that I can show during a meeting? Or is it more like a communication? And, you know, FINRA has come out with guidance recently that says, look, visual aids during a meeting may in fact be correspondence or institutional communications or retail communications that fall within the regulation. So I think the lesson is to be monitoring the types of technology that are being used within the organization, evaluating whether you know it could fall within the regulations and making sure you're taking appropriate steps, whether that's record keeping, capture, you know, supervision, with respect to those types of technologies, but it's staying on top of the changes and making sure you're being, you know, taking appropriate steps. Yes. And, and Teresa, I think it's important to note the dynamic nature here because it's staying on top of this really 
you know, this is moving very quickly. So all the things we just discussed is now kind of leading into robo-advisors and fin influencers and the use of artificial intelligence. At Legal Week this year, we had questions that came up about the metaverse, you know, and, and what are the obligations and, and implications there? So this this field is, is moving very quickly and it just double down on that effort to stay in, in, in front of what tools your firms are, are accessing. And, and I do think one of the things that I think you, you can hear throughout this is there's no right answer. I don't know if there's right answer. There's probably lots of wrong answers, but no right answer for a lot of this. And I think that's going to be one of the things that is going to be particularly challenging because previously it was pretty much an objective criteria, I'll call it, right? Oh, email, clearly, instant messaging, clearly, you know, if you had a broker dealer, you would just capture it. It was pretty straightforward in terms of what you were doing. Now, as we talked about, with technology changing, you're basically going to be accepting risk. I mean, I think that's one of the things we saw during the pandemic. We've had lots of podcasts on you know, the hybrid world and how that's changed things. Uh, but I think that is one of the things that is also going to be interesting as we see this, because every organization is going to take its own risk tolerance on what to do here, right? And and how much how much to do, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's, you know, some an, an app, you know, a communication app inside a um, an application that the traders are using, whatever it is. There's there's not going to be the oh absolutely. I think it's going to be a lot of you know we're not going to capture it, but it's fine because it's you know non-substantive or whatever. But I think there's going to be a lot of conversations um, within organizations on how to to really understand this and come up with some guidelines, even from a policy perspective, right, within the organization to say, this is what we think an e-com is, and this is our obligations under that, as opposed to just, you know, looking at FINRA's guidance, because it's not that helpful, um, and saying objectively, this is the right answer, this is the wrong answer. So, mm-hmm. so I guess, Robert, now, what do organizations need to look out for when they're trying to think about, okay, what, what is an e-com in my organization? What are people using? in terms of technology and whether it would fall under this category of eco. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things that we're, we're both seeing with companies just basically adding to the due diligence they do when they determine whether a tool is acceptable for business purposes. And so you know, getting to yes means that there is a means available for me to capture, control, and mitigate the risk of that of that particular tool, which leaves you with the inverse. What what happens to those tools that aren't acceptable? And so one of the things we see more of now is that firms are, are becoming more proactive in monitoring for the use of prohibited networks. You know, are individuals, you know, on Signal or Discord or House Party or Marco Polo, you know, looking for the breadcrumbs within their stored data to say people are going off network, that they're, you know, looking into sources that aren't, you know, necessarily the approved ones. I, I think it's also an important consideration that there could be multiple versions, one of which is acceptable to the business, which it's approved, but there's a freeware version that's floating around very easily accessible. So I, I think that proactive surveillance or inspection, we see much more of that, not just for your regulated base, but across the company, making sure you know where the action is happening. And, and if all else fails, talk to your high school student and they'll tell you exactly what tools they're using. And, you know, you can prepare for that starting to show up in, in your work environment. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest changes we've seen. And one of the most important things that an organization can do is, right, don't stick your head in the sand. And, and to be frank, there has been for years, of, we knew about WeChat, we knew about WhatsApp, you know, people were told not to use it. There was a suspicion that they might be, but I don't know how to handle it. So we're just going to rely on policy. 
And I and look, I think that's gone away. Right? You have to be aware of what's happening and take action. Whether that's as Robert's saying, if your business needs a technology, find the compliant version. There are ways to capture a lot of these now. Find the compliant version, invest in the compliant version so you can both meet the business need and meet your regulatory requirements. If you are suspect that there are issues, take steps to remediate it. And there's lots of ways to remediate it, right? Training to remind people what they need to do and what their obligations are with respect to electronic communications. Turning it off where you can turn it off, right? Not ignoring it or pretending like it's not happening now is no longer acceptable. And you have to go out there, be aware of what's happening, take the steps to keep up with the business, right? And where you can make it compliant, make it compliant so the business can still do what it needs to do. And I think the other thing, and we've talked about this many times, right? It's you can always defend a policy or a decision made by organization. It's really hard to defend the fact that you don't make a decision and people are doing stuff, right? And I think that's going to be key. Um, I, you know, we'll see how the regulators react to this, but I would assume that if you have, you know, good third party risk management, right? And, and you have, like we're talking about, you're going through each application, making decisions. Hopefully that decision is sort of at a high level consistent across all these different applications in terms of what you think is an e-com, what's not. Like all of that work could prevent you from getting the $200 million fine. That's my assumption. I could be wrong, right? I, don't, I have no idea, but I don't think this is a strict liability world where if like three executives are using WhatsApp, that you're going to get the same fine as if you said, look, we've done everything we can to do this training. You know, we've reprimanded people. We've got a policy. We've made decisions. I think those organizations that are that proactive will probably be ahead of the game. And again, Robert, to your point, it's also free discovery, right? If you're in e-discovery and they start asking, it's a lot better to say, here's our policy. Here's what we consider an e-com. Here's where it is, um, what our retention is and all that stuff. So um, you can't be too prepared in addressing these issues. Right. And it's a lot of work. I mean, I think one of the things that is particularly challenging is that, you know, we have we have clients that have what 80 to 90 applications right now in the queue to do an evaluation of to whether they have an e-com or not. I mean, that's it's just crazy right now. Right. And we know that M365 comes out with a new product every other day and you have to evaluate that. Is that an e-com? So it's not going away. And I think there's going to be a major focus for the next few years. It's not uh, this year, there's a bunch of fines. We're going to forget about it. I think this is going to be the new normal, as they say. Any final thoughts before we, we end this? Yeah, Anthony, just to, to your last point, third-party risk management, I think that's that's a key area here. We're seeing you know really kind of expand its definition because let's say the only way I can use a whiteboard is if a particular vendor had a way to capture it. Well, who is that vendor? Do they understand that I might have regulatory obligations and I need a historical record? Do they provide access to you know, all the functionality that I need? So I, I think it's another dimension of third-party risk management, making sure you know who your communication vendors are, what their capabilities are, and where you might be able to augment those uh, with another technology that you know helps you create the control that you need. But as, as both of you, I think, have said, this is really led by process, policy, training, attestation before you even think about automating technology. It's really those other elements in your arsenal that firms need to be proactive with right from now. Absolutely. Teresa, anything before we let everyone go? I could not have said it better. Uh, Excellent. Well, thanks, Teresa and Robert. And like I said, this is going to be a series that Reed Smith and Smarsh will be doing over the next few months. 
So look forward to hopefully you joining us future podcasts. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.